So, so far, we've looked up. Pastor Chris brought us into the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Going into the idea that we are children of the Most High God. He has the authority that no one else has. And because of this, he is worthy of our praise. Then last week, Pastor Jessica told us about old Genghis Khani. That was my favorite part, by the way. Um, but looking down at the fact that his will must come to earth. If we're first to accept the fact of his will, we must first accept his authority. It's his way or the highway. And so today we focus in on the words, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And as we do that, I want to tell you a story of two different men, two different Christian men. Everett Effort had 12-hour shifts running through his veins. He grew up on the family dairy farm. His wife, Roberta, could never get him to take a break. He believed in hard work and not taking any handouts. He was an avid churchgoer. He went every Sunday. He sang in the choir. And if he knew men in the church needed work, he'd give them a job on the dairy farm in the meantime. If he knew others were struggling, he'd drop money in their mailbox secretly. Everett was a great giver. In fact, he was considered the most generous man in his church. A great giver. But on the other hand... We have Hank Handout. He was an avid churchgoer too, but he could never seem to overcome the hump of trusting other people with his money. He never became a tither. And recently, he lost all of his income. His Chuck E. Cheese franchise tanked. He lost his house. He lost his business. And now he was being sued by the former Chuck E. Cheese actor because he had refused to give him provolone instead of paychecks. Life was rough. But all that being said, he trusted in the Lord to provide. And so he got food from the local food bank. He was able to stay in Mrs. Green's apartment above her garage. He didn't have a lot, but he had enough. And he attributed this providence to his great God. Hank was a great receiver. Everett Effort was a great giver. Hank Handout was a great receiver. Who is the better Christian? Who is better at following Christ? In the Sermon on the Mount, the people that Jesus is speaking to are concerned with having enough, being taken care of, having the clothes that they need, the food they need. They worry if they'll have enough barley or fish to sell to be able to make ends meet. Their focus is on surviving. But at least they're taking responsibility for themselves, right? When I think of responsibility, I think back to high school when I moved in with my dad and we would have the initiative talk. 
If you were to come home from the factory and the dishes weren't done or the lawn wasn't mowed or the trash wasn't taken out or something wasn't done, it's not that I was responsible for everything, but he would come home and say, initiative, son. We've got to talk about initiative. This is our house. It's not just my house. It's time that you pick up your slack. And this really reminds me of the words of Paul. If anyone isn't willing to work, he shouldn't eat. There are Jews in the crowd who understood this sentiment. I need to take responsibility for me. And yet in the midst of them, Jesus says to pray like this, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And I can hear a guy in the background saying, I can make my own pita. Thank you. And it's the same guy who would also affirm that God in the wilderness provided bread from heaven from the Israelite, for the Israelites. Meat for the Israelites. And yet these people are focused on surviving, getting enough food, getting enough clothes, getting enough money. How do we know they're fixated on this? Just a few verses later, Jesus says, don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. So if you fixate on having initiative, if you fixate on responsibility, if you fixate on being a go-getter, Jesus reveals here, we receive because our focus isn't on survival. If we fail to do this, if we're fixated on other things, we're equal to an unbeliever. We must receive because our focus isn't on survival, but the kingdom's arrival. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things that you're worried about will be added Unto you. They were investing in a temporary kingdom, the kingdom of themselves, when they could have been investing in an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of God. But they were distracted by survival and not focused on the kingdom's arrival. The prayer attitude of asking God for our daily bread frees us from a worldly fixation on the rat race of life to a heavenly fixation on the Lord and his kingdoms and his concerns. Lord, I'm trusting that you will provide for me so that I can do what you have asked me to do. We worry about making enough money. And what's interesting to me is I feel like I observe that most of the time we have enough, and when I'm saying enough, I mean enough to survive, but yet we worry about getting more. So we work overtime. We try to hit it big at the bingo bar. We make sure that we have more than enough invested in our 401ks. We make sure that our house is stocked up with food. We keep some money in the safe in case the bank ever fails. Now hear me, I'm not saying there's no wisdom in this except for the bingo bar one. Don't do that one. That's not wise. Um, 
But all that being said, when these thoughts, even though they're wise, consume our minds so that there's no room for God's agenda, for godly thoughts, for thoughts about God's kingdom, then we're missing the point. He is trying to grant us freedom so that we're not focused on survival, but on the kingdom's arrival. Do you realize that this prayer is not just for poor people? Because I think we come to it and we say, Lord, why would I need to ask for daily bread if I already have it? God already knows all my needs. Or I already have all my needs met. So why should I have to ask? We ask to get in the practice of knowing that God is the true provider. Even if our cupboards look Full, we have enough bread, we have enough money in the bank account. God is the provider. Everything you have is only there because God has allowed it to be so. And so at this point, before we move forward, I think there's a point of clarification. Because you might be thinking, so are you saying that we shouldn't be hard workers? No, I'm not saying that. Am I just supposed to get rid of my job and just trust in the Lord to provide? No, I'm not saying that. Back to what Paul says, if no one is willing to work, then they should not eat. Jesus says, if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto us. If you are freed from the fixation of providing for yourself, and instead work under the concerns of what God has asked you to do for his kingdom. You don't have to worry about it. So we still work hard. So we must receive providence, but we also must receive something else. Jesus goes on. And this next part is sort of ironic. Forgive us our sins. What sins does Jesus need to have forgiven, right? Forgive us our sins, except mine, Lord. But all that being said, he taught us to pray this way because we were in need of that. And likely standing among them in the crowd was a man who recently poisoned his neighbor's cow, a woman who had lied about her whereabouts last night, a boy who had stolen his friend's sandals. Isn't it interesting how it seems like we're more willing to ask for forgiveness than for God's providence. We understand as Christians the need to ask Christ for forgiveness, but not about that which will be provided for me today, that which will be transforming for me today. We want to ask for that which will change our eternal destiny, but not the now. I want to feel safe then, but I want to live in my world in my kingdom now. We ask God to provide for the spiritual, but we don't seem to ask for him to provide for the physical. If we want to be a part of the kingdom, we must learn how to receive his providence and his forgiveness.
And if you notice how Christ asks for daily bread, it seems to imply then that we should be daily laying those things on the table, those sins that might be separating us from the Most High God. So daily we ask for providence and daily we ask for forgiveness for anything that might be messing up our relationship. It's not a one-time event. We don't just ask for forgiveness in the beginning and it's done. Can you imagine if a marriage or a friendship started and they just asked for forgiveness at the beginning and every time there were mess-ups in the middle, they didn't ask for forgiveness after that? They'd end up on Dr. Phil. You got to ask for bread. You got to ask for forgiveness because it reinforces the idea in your mind that you're nothing without God. You wouldn't live without God. You wouldn't be forgiven without the grace of God. I need God to live in this life, and I need God to live in the next. I'm nothing without him. Are there sins that you haven't asked forgiveness for, that you haven't acknowledged as sin? The question is not, is God going to forgive them? The question is whether or not you have recognized it as something that will be causing separation between you and your father? Are there some sins that you haven't brought on the table? The anger problem, the lust problem, the gossip problem. Bring it to his throne. So we must receive his providence and his forgiveness. So the case seems pretty great for being like Hank Handout, doesn't it? Take the handouts of bread take the handouts of forgiveness. But then Jesus throws us the infamous curveball. Forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven the sins of those who've sinned against us. It assumes that we have already been forgiving to the people who've wronged us. The dude killed my cow. How could I forgive him? He put a pig in my house as a joke so I'd be unclean. How could I forgive him? The human heart hasn't changed, even though the time and the place has. Culture encourages us to seek revenge. We live in families that are split because of issues that have been unresolved, pain too great to overcome. People have thrown all the years that they've spent with us out the window and have cheated on us. People have sought to actively harm us even though we've devoted ourselves to them. They took something or someone valuable from us. And when you're alone and the memory is sparked in your mind by that familiar song, that familiar object, that familiar situation, the replay starts to come in your mind and you just wish that they would get what's coming to them. And when you hear about their misfortune, you get a little giddy. Yes! It's a sign that there's still unforgiveness in your heart. God doesn't want to give what you aren't willing to give. God doesn't want to give what you aren't willing to give. He wants us to emulate him. He wants us to look to him as our provider, but then he wants us to turn around and reflect that generosity. It doesn't start out immediately 
We come to Christ asking him for forgiveness, but it takes time for the Holy Spirit to transform us to become people who are forgiving. We give to look like our Father. We give to look like our Father. And I want to make the case that if God is asking us to give forgiveness, that he's also asking us to give our daily bread. Christ didn't ask for my daily bread. He asked for our daily bread. And so if we're supposed to reflect his generosity and forgiveness to look like the Father, I would contest that he also wants us to display that generosity in all that he's gifted us with, all that he's been generous with. This is a group experience. We are provided for, not just you. We are provided for. When we hoard the food, it's like God took us to the grocery store and we came home and then we said, oh, it's all mine. Maybe just you had the heavier grocery bag, but you claimed it as all your own when it was the whole family's, our daily bread. God provides so we can live and give. So which is it? Are we supposed to be like Hank Handout or Everett Effort? Well, each of those men could learn something from the other. There are those of you in the room that need to learn how to give. There are those of you in the room that need to learn how to receive. We need to have both in our life. We must give and receive. There are those of you in this room are really good at receiving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness, but not so good at giving at it. You're bitter. There are those of you who are really good at giving forgiveness, but not so good at receiving it. You hate yourself. There are those of you who are good at receiving from God and others, but not so good at giving. You're a mooch. There are those of you who are really good at giving to others, but not so good at receiving. You're prideful. You got to be good at giving and receiving. We must give and receive. There's no way around it. Because your giving will help you to receive better. And when you're better at receiving, it'll help you to receive and give better. And your giving will lead you to better receiving and receiving. Do you get it? They go together. Let me tell you what I mean. The, when do you most want to give? When others have given to you. When you receive from God's generosity or from the generosity of others, you want to spread the love. And so you give. Receiving leads to better giving. But I want to tell you, there's a difference between receiving and receiving. There's a difference between receiving and receiving. There's a difference between expecting it and receiving it as a blessing. The ungenerous heart expects God to forgive expects God to provide, as if God were required to do it for us under contract. The person who knows what it is to give out of love, not because people deserve it, truly receives his providence. When we give generously, we know what it's like when God gives selflessly. And so we receive better. Giving 
leads to better receiving. Receiving leads to better giving. But how do we do it? How do we live this out? How do we live it out and we authentically pray a life that is giving and receiving? Step one, in humility, receive God's provision. In humility, receives God's provision. You've got to let go of you. Everything that you have, every skill that you have that has been enabled you to get what you have is from God. Quit thinking you're self-sufficient. You're not. It's all from his hand. When you're focused on his kingdom, when you're relying on the fact that he will provide and you will not have to focus on it, you are freed up to focus on his kingdom, his will, his concerns. Humble yourself and receive his provision. Second, in thankfulness, reflect God's generosity. Give what you've received. Even if it hurts. It's easy to talk about the generosity of things, but let's talk about the generosity of forgiveness. Because how are you supposed to forgive the person who's had no remorse in their heart for what they've done to you? That they've, you've been stabbed in the heart time and time again. Let me tell you the key. And it's not easy, but the only way that you will ever be able to forgive that person is if you become truly receptive to God's forgiveness. Instead of receiving it like this, you receive it like this. When you realize the depth of the gift that Christ has given you, you can't help but want to give it to other people. It's only by the grace of God that you're not as bad of a person as they are. In thankfulness, give what you have received to others. Reflect God's generosity. So what is it? What do you need to learn to do better? Do you need to learn to give better or receive better? Do you need to ask God to provide even if it looks like you have enough? Receive from others that want to bless you, that are practicing generosity. Receive forgiveness. Or do you need to give? Give our daily bread to others. Give forgiveness to those who've wronged you. How is God calling you to live a better life of giving and receiving in prayer? So as we transition, and I invite Pat up for a time of response and communion, the ushers are going to come and raise your hand if you haven't received any elements. Jesus gave us a meal to remember him by. But when he invited us to the table, all was provided. All was given for us. Forgiveness and freedom from death. But here's the thing about Jesus' table. It's not an exclusive party. He expects us to invite others to the table, to give to others what we have received. And so as we partake in these elements in a few moments, reflecting on giving and receiving, I want to offer you time to ask God to help you receive or give or both. Let's pray. Our risen Lord Jesus, you so graciously provided us all that we need.
and call us to reflect you by practicing the same generosity that you have showed us. We come to the table today knowing that we are not perfect and that we only trust in your name and are generous in your name by the transforming power of your grace in our lives. We ask that you would consecrate this bread and this juice and set them apart as a place to encounter your presence in a unique way and be changed into people who more humbly receive from you and others and more thankfully give as you have been given. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Peel back the first layer and partake of the bread. Lord, as we partake of this bread, this bread of life given for us, help us to reflect on what you have provided and what we have failed to trust in you to provide. saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Partake in the juice. Lord, as we partake of your blood poured out for many, not just for us only. Help us to reflect on how we might better reflect your character through forgiveness of those who have wronged us and providing for those among us in need. We come before you today knowing that we are in need of forgiveness. We ask that you would grant today to all of us the forgiveness that we have not asked for, but especially to those who want to start a relationship with you in the room who might be stirring and thinking, I want to be a part of knowing this God who provides and forgives. I pray that your presence would be with them. Lord, too, we just ask that you would come in this room and help us who have been following you for a while know that we are covered in your forgiveness. May we be brought to light in anything that needs to be brought before you in our relationship. Today, Lord, give us the bread we need, the shoes we need, the air we need, the shirts, the vegetables, the means that we need to live in this day, the rest, the heartbeats, the peace, the knowledge of being your children, because without you, Lord, we're nothing, literally. You made us, you sustain us. Help us to receive what you've given and give it to others, reflecting you. Help us to realize the enormity of the gifts you've granted us so that we can't help but want to see others provided for in the same way you have provided for us. And Lord, today we end 
by praying the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Lord, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 